Today's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 16 to 24. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we're taking pains to do what's right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we're sending with them our brother who's often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you, so that the churches can see it. This is the word of the Lord. Hope you're doing okay. It's good to uh, be back with you after a COVID-enforced um, absence. Uh, thanks to Mike for subbing in uh, for me uh, last week. Um, and it was good, wasn't it, to be reminded. Uh, God was in control. He knew what he was doing. But it was good to be uh, reminded of the need to give gracefully and uh, willingly uh, last week. And we're going to touch on those themes um, again uh, this morning. But I want to begin uh, with a few of Jesus' own words. Uh, These are words that the gospel writer Luke records uh, for us, and I want to do so in a way, uh, by a way of setting the scene, if you like, uh, for this this passage in 2 Corinthians. So as you hear these words, uh, ask yourself this, who who do you imagine Jesus is talking to or about? These are Jesus' words recorded by Luke. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Watch out, be on your guard. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Who comes to mind when you, uh, when you hear those words of Jesus? Is it an Elon Musk? Is it a Lewis Hamilton? Is it a Tom Cruise or a Vladimir Putin? I don't know maybe, it's, you know, maybe it's another rich politician or businessman or pop star, actor. But if it is, then I think we're 
barking up the wrong tree here. Jesus is talking and has in mind you and me. When he says those words, he, as, as you, know, you could say, as residents of Hartford, that, that's who he has in mind. You might, oh, hang on a minute, John, where are you going with that? <laughs> okay, well, maybe not Hartford, maybe let's go for the Northwest. Oh, hang on, let's not go for the Northwest, let's go for England. As residents of England, as residents of the West. Look, the average income in uh, this country is um, it's about £30,000. That's the average income in this, in this country. And according to the website, Giving What You Can, if you have a household income of £30,000, you are in the, the richest top 2%, the top 2% of the global population. 98% of the world's population at the moment is poorer than you if you have a household income of thirty grand. But thirty grand is still quite a lot, isn't it? Okay, so, so let's, say, let's say all you've got to live on is, is the state pension. So we'll cut that figure uh, by, uh, uh, to a third, not even by a third, but to a third. So I think that the, the, the state pension works out at about nine grand a year. Even then, if your income is just £9,000 a year, you are in the top 16% of the richest people in the world, just on nine grand a year. That's 84% of people living in the world have less money than you do, financially worse off. So by any material or worldly measure of that word, we are the rich, aren't we? Never before have we had so much disposable income. And, you know, we we use that word for a reason, disposable. It's not essential. It means we get to choose sort of the sizes of of, of houses that we live in. It It means we get to choose, you know, what kind of car we might have or we get to choose what kind of appliances we might have. Phones, television, you know, all these all these sort of things. So, folks, when we hear Jesus' talk of the rich, he is very much talking to you and to me. Woe to you, residents of Hartford, for you have already received your comfort. Take care, St. John's. Be on your guard. Your lives do not consist in the abundance of your possessions. It is harder for the English to enter the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. That's what he's saying. It's challenging stuff, isn't it? It's challenging stuff. Sometimes following and obeying the Lord is hard. So let's ask for his help now before we go any further. Let's pray. Lord, these are very challenging words that Luke records uh, you as saying. And as we think about them as our overall frame of reference uh, for today, please would you help us, help us to hear what you would have uh, said to us through this passage in 2 Corinthians. And Lord, please don't leave us unchanged um, as a result. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've given us these words, uh, unusually sort of gone to another part of the Bible to give us a bit of context or to sort of give us a frame frame of of reference. But it is important, um, I'll come back to that shortly, but it is important um, that we also just think about what's going on in in, in 2 Corinthians. So if you've got the Bible, and you can go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, and uh, we'll we'll start uh, from, from verse 16, 2 Corinthians 8. And you need to know uh, that for much of Paul's ministry, 
um, he had encouraged the churches he'd planted to give financially to uh, the, the, the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem. So whenever he planted a church, uh, he'd go around planting these churches, and, and he encouraged those churches to think about how they could give um, in their time of, of abundance to support uh, those Christians back in Jerusalem uh, where there was famine uh, and where they were under uh, persecution as well. So that's the appeal that we hear about here in, in verse 16. So this is verse 16 of chapter 8. I thank God who put in the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, this appeal for money, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. So Paul is telling them how he's going to collect their gifts through Titus, uh, a man who cares just as much for them as, as Paul did. But it's not just Titus uh, who's involved in this, okay? He's one, Titus is one of three. There's three brothers appointed to the task of collecting and organizing the money. So verse 18, and we are sending along with him, along with Titus, the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. That's a nice title, isn't it? <laughs> the brother who is praised by all the churches uh, for his service to the gospel. So this is someone well-known, could say famous even, uh, for his service to the gospel, probably somebody who preached well. And no one knows for sure, uh, but a lot of people take an educated guess, uh, for, for good reasons, at Luke. Hence, why well, I just shared with you a little bit of what Luke records Jesus as saying at the start. Because if it is Luke, he is not just sort of retelling, he does not just in, 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 bothered about retelling these words of Jesus. He very much wants to live them out himself and to help others live them out too. But the point here is not really to try and guess who the brother is, but to notice that some of those um, brothers who were dealing with this collection were chosen by other Christians. They weren't chosen by Paul, they were chosen by other Christians. Verse 19, what is more, he was chosen, this famous brother, by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. So you see, Paul, the leader, the church planter, the, the, the one who's, who's sort of very influential at this stage, he is, he is at pains to distance himself from the actual collection, collection uh, the handling, if you like, the administration of, of the money. And this famous brother who, who, who accompanies uh, Titus, he's obviously trusted, he's obviously respected for his gospel work, and that is one of the reasons why he is chosen to help in this capacity. Verse 20, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. For we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. Paul wants them to be confident that their gift will be in safe hands, if you like. Nothing dodgy is going to happen to it. And he clearly expects the gift to be a significant one. He talks about a liberal gift. He clearly expects it to be a, a, a generous one, a generous gift. And therefore, he wants them to know, he wants to reassure them that he is motivated to do the right thing both before God and before man. So there's this team. The team consists of Titus. We could call him Paul's uh, sole brother. It consists of this uh, famous brother, possibly Luke, but also a third brother. And we're going to call him the zealous brother. So we've got the, the sole brother, uh, the famous brother, and then you've got the zealous brother. Verse 22. 
Paul writes, in addition, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous. That's where I get it, zealous. <laughs> okay, it's in here. So he is a zealous brother. And now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Here's the point again, okay? These three brothers, they represent the churches in a way that honors Jesus. And so Paul urges the Corinthians as a result of that in verse 24, therefore show these men the proof of your love, the reason for our pride in you. Give (laughs) so that the churches can see it. So what can we learn uh, from these verses? Two main points today, okay? Firstly, give in a way that honors the Lord. Give in a way that honors the Lord. And secondly, I think we need to to learn to ensure that the church administers your giving in a godly manner. So firstly, how do we give in a way that um, honors the Lord? Here are four guidelines, if you like, four guidelines from these verses uh, here in 2 Corinthians. Firstly, consider the need. Consider the need. The Jerusalem church needed help. Paul drew their attention to that. They were in need, this church in Jerusalem. Suffering famine, persecution. And today, if you like, there is much, isn't there, that, 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 for, that our attention can be drawn to. The needs are vast, both in the global church and here more locally at St. John's. And so we need to consider, don't we, as Christians, we need to consider appeals. When we hear about the need, we need to consider that. We need to pray about it. We need to pray about how much to give. We need to pray about where to give. But notice how in verse 17 there is an appeal. Paul asks them to give. They need to know about it. The church is in need. So what are our needs here at St. John's? Well, quite simply, nothing happens here uh, unless you guys, unless we as a church family, give. Aside from some small income from weddings and and, and funerals and and some letting of the church center. Everything comes from our own pockets here to do God's work. Staff are paid to do and facilitate gospel work. They're paid a stipend so they don't have to work doing something else. That's what sort of stipendary uh, ministry is all about. They get that because you give. Our facilities, which are fabulous, by the way, are looked after Well, they're kept up to date, they're kept safe because you give. We are generous to other churches, both locally and further afield. Why? Because you give. And so in order to maintain all of that, we need to keep giving. But we don't just want to maintain, do we? We don't just want to maintain all that. We want to grow God's work. We want to see God's kingdom expanded and grown and that takes resources. And if God's work is going to go, grow through, for example, our work with young people, or if God's work is going to grow through um, our work amongst uh, our Hong Kong family and brethren, if our work is going to grow through um, effective gospel engagement, if it's going to grow through our work in the community, if it's going to grow through church planting and through church revitalizations, then people need to consider those needs. We need to consider the needs. Second, we need to prioritize our giving 
in a way that serves the gospel. We need to prioritize our giving in a way that serves the gospel. Look again at how that famous brother is described. This is verse 18. He is described as the one who is praised by all the churches. Why? For his service to the gospel. He serves the gospel. That's what's at stake. Now, some people uh, give to secular charities, and, and that is absolutely fine, isn't it? Um, if you give to, to, to comic relief, if you, you know, that's coming up soon, isn't it? If you give to shelter, if you give locally to St. Luke's uh, Hospice, then, then great. But if that, as God's people, is all we give to, if that is all we give to, or if, if your giving to a non-Christian charity takes up the lion's share of your giving, then I've, I've got to gently ask, is that giving giving in a way that honors the Lord by serving the gospel? You see, anyone can give, can't they, to a national charity. Anyone can do that. But only Christians normally tend to give to Christian charities and to Christian work. And actually, the only people that will give to this local expression of Christian work and charity here at St. John's are you guys, are us, the, the family. That's one of the reasons why giving to a local church, if you are a member of a local church, is so important. So friends, to honor Jesus, we need to not only consider the need, but we need to prioritize the serving of the gospel. Thirdly, we also see that that giving is eager. Giving is done eagerly. Giving that honors the Lord is eager giving. Now that doesn't come easily, does it? Look at verse 19 there, where Paul talks of, of this eagerness to help. Or look at verse 17, where, where Titus is described as coming with enthusiasm. You know, there's no reluctance here by the, from these chaps. There's no unwillingness to, 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 to get involved. There's no resentment. I do sometimes wonder where that eagerness comes from. It seems so alien to us as a culture. You know, we're, we're, as a culture, we're polite, yes, aren't we? We are the polite English. Uh, but but, but gener- generosity, I mean, yes, we, we're quite hospitable, but generosity, lavish generosity in hospitality that you, you see and witness in other cultures uh, around the globe? Maybe, maybe not so much. Where does, where does that eagerness come from? I think it comes from us having the wrong perspective. Because we think we've earned it, don't we? We think we own it. We think it's ours to do with as we see fit. And yet all that we have, all that we have is just on loan to us. It is just a gift from God. We're just custodians of everything that we think we own, whether it's money, homes, cars, children, businesses. Whatever it is, we're just custodians. They're gifts from God. We brought nothing into this world, and when we leave it, we're going to take nothing out of it. Naked I came, naked I will go. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Mike mentioned 80s pop legend Pat Benatar. I don't know if you were here with that. I'm going to take his Pat Benatar, and I'm going to rise him a Dido, okay? So uh, if you've not heard of Dido, she is a, a sort of a, a, an, a, an early 2000s uh, pop uh, singer. She has an amazing hypnotic voice. Um, it's brilliant. Anyway, on her second album, she has a song called Life for Rent. Uh, the, the album's called that as well, and she sings this. She sings, if, if my, but if my life is for rent, and I don't learn to buy... Well, I deserve nothing more than I get because nothing I have is truly mine. 
It's a really interesting and actually quite sad lyric. She sings, nothing I have is truly mine. She's grasped that truth. She's grasped that actually in, she doesn't, feels like she doesn't own anything. But she's come to the conclusion that the only way that she will be happy is to try and grab that and make it hers, to make everything hers, to own it herself, to act and behave as if that is the case. But in the upside-down world of the kingdom of God, that's not how it works. We know that, don't we? That the kingdom of God is an, is an upside-down kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, there is much more blessing in giving and giving eagerly than there is, is in receiving and owning and storing up. So we're encouraged to give eagerly. Fourth, we're encouraged to give generously. In 8 verse 20, so this is uh, verse 20 of, of chapter 8, Paul speaks, as I said, of this liberal gift. It's not tokenistic, this. <laughs> it's not just some little tokenistic gift. This is generosity. It's lavish. And you know what, if, if, if you are a Christian, then actually this is where giving begins. Because giving does not begin in our wallets or on our online, ba- um, online banking. It begins in here. Our giving begins in our hearts. That's where the generosity comes from. And in our hearts, when we realize that we have been the recipients of such lavish generosity from our Heavenly Father, we who deserve death, separation, punishment, nothing more than that, for our rebellion, have actually been Treated with such grace and generosity, all because of a, a gift of God. If we just get just a glimpse of that and work that out in our lives, then it will change our attitude. And we'll want to be where we're not agents of that generosity to, to others in all sorts of ways. And so if we're asking, you know, the question, what is the minimum here that I can give away? Or, what, you know, what, what, what's the absolute minimum here that I can, I can give, get away with giving? Then I think we're asking the wrong question. Or, you know, what's left at the end of the day? Is there anything left at the end of the day? I think that's the wrong attitude. Instead, we need to be thinking more along the lines of, what can I give now? What can I give next? How much can I give it? Where can I give it? What can I do with it? How can I give it away? I'm not saying this comes easily. I don't find this easy at all. But I think that is more indicative of a heart, is it not, that has received and is aware that they have received such generous mercy and grace and that they want to keep cultivating that as agents for the Lord Jesus and for his honor. So Paul says, give in a way that honors the Lord. Consider the need. Give in ways that serve the gospel. Do it eagerly and do it generously. Here's the second main thing uh, Paul teaches us, I think, in these these few verses. Ensure that the church administers its giving in a godly manner. So maybe, if you like, the the spotlight's more uh, shifting from from us as individuals now to us corporately as as a church family. And again, I've got four uh, brief sub-points, four features, if you like, of godly administration. Firstly, it must be honest. The way we administer our money must be done Honestly, those who collect it, those who spend it, they must be trustworthy, they must be tried, they must be tested people. That's why Paul spells out the credentials of these three brothers, the, 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 the soul brother, the famous brother, the, the zealous brother. All of them, according to verse 23, representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. 
So those of us who have responsibility for collecting and then spending God's money here at at St. John's must be men and women of integrity. And so if you see anything from any of us to the contrary, then question it. Please question it. If you see anything in our systems or our procedures that doesn't look right or just you're not quite sure about, or, it's, you, know, or you spot a, weak, a weakness and you think that, that could be vulnerable to abuse, then flag it up. Why? Because the honor of Jesus is at stake here. The honor of the Lord Jesus is at stake. You know, sadly, there are far too many, aren't they? I'm sure you've heard of them. Financial scandals that, that hit the church. You'll be aware of them. They, 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 they hit the church with alarming regularity. Oh, sorry, they hit the news with alarming regularity, uh, really. I, I remember hearing of a, of a church in the southeast who, who, who gave generously to an orphanage in India. Didn't even exist. Somebody ran off with the money. Or a church in Northern Ireland where one of the elders fled the country with another of the elders' wives, took, up, took a big chunk of the money with them as they went. It's this sort of thing. It's utterly tragic. And it's not tragic just because money is wasted, although that is tragic, isn't it? That's bad enough. It's, it's not just tragic because it's a bad witness. And it is a bad witness because when people out there, the world, look in and they go, oh, it's just another reason, isn't it? Not to, you know, just dismiss all that because look at them, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's bad enough, isn't it? It's not even um, utterly tragic just because for us as Christians, our trust then is broken between each other. The trust between us breaks down, although that is utterly tragic. It is utterly tragic, though, most of all, because it dishonors Jesus. It's what Paul is at pains to, 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 uh, to state here. He's talking about how we honor the Lord. And the only way to avoid this scenario is to keep working hard to handle financial gifts with absolute integrity. As Paul puts it, he says, I take pains to do what is right. Take pains. It's not going to be easy, this. Not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. We must administer this honestly. Secondly, um, our administration must be effective. That is to say that Christian giving must be spent on the right things, yeah? We must spend it on the right things. So not only as, as individuals do we think about our giving in a way that prioritizes the gospel, but when we pull those resources together and we think collectively, we're also following through on that giving and ensuring that it's spent in gospel-effective ways. Now, that's perhaps slightly easier when we're working out how to spend the money through the work here. But when decisions are being made on how we distribute money to, say, our missionaries further afield, and and those decisions seem a little bit more uh, remote, we need to make sure that we are asking the right questions, that there are rigorous checks and balances, say, in in, in play for that. And that's one of the reasons why we have the the missionary um, uh, uh, strategy group, you know, full of gospel-hearted people to ask those questions and to ensure uh, that giving gets distributed in a way that is effective and honors the Lord. Our giving must be effective. Thirdly, it must, uh, our, sorry, administration must be effective. Thirdly, our administration must also be efficient. In other words, not only do we want to spend it on the right things, we want to collect it and spend it in the best way possible. And the best way to make sure that administration is efficient is to ensure that those with responsibility for dealing with the money are suitably gifted and experienced uh, people. And so we have that here at St. John's, uh, if you don't know. We have our own trio of brothers uh, here at St. John's. Uh, we may not call them the famous brother or the sole brother or the zealous brother, but we could do. We could apply them. Uh, there, there they are. There's Graham, our treasurer. Barry, our assistant treasurer. And Keith, who's our gift aid administrator. Each of them gifted, each of them experienced 
in their role and a huge asset to the, to, to the running of our church finances here and to make sure that we do things as efficiently as possible. Two things for us on efficient, uh, efficient giving, though. Because uh, we can help, actually, as individuals. We can help the efficiency um, of, 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 of the church administration of money by, by doing a couple of things. Firstly, we can, we can give regularly. If you don't already do that, then I would really consider you to do that. It is very easy to, 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 to set that up through online banking and, and, and so on. But secondly, also through a, signing a gift aid declaration form. You sign a gift aid declaration form, there's a massive efficiency there because if you're a tax, taxpayer... It increases the, 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 the amount of your gift by 25%. You give a pound, we get £1.25. Give £10, £12.50, so on, it, it works up. That's a, that's a significant efficiency. It's wise efficiency. It's a God-honoring efficiency. Finally, right administration must also be accountable. Look, look back again at verse 21. Paul is taking pains to do what is right, and he wants to do what is right not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. This is exactly why Paul is spelling out what the money is for, who's going to be handling it, and what the arrangements are for handling it. So let me just give you some examples of how we seek to be accountable here at St. John's. See, the fact that uh, over the years, I mean, I know there's a COVID exception, but over the years, um, you have taken time out each year to, to, to think about the subject of money and what God's word says on the subject of money is a way of helping each one of us be accountable before God for our finances. So that is a way of accountability. Each of us needs to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Every year we explain how money is given and how money is uh, spent. Budgets and reviews are prepared at the AGM, in a couple of months' time, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to question reports on income and, and expenditure. That's one, one way that we seek to be accountable. Another way we seek to be accountable is that if, if money is asked for, then uh, we, w- we will say what it's for. You know, whether that's for paying for a Cantonese uh, lay minister, whether it's um, uh, paying for a new church roof, or whether we need money just to keep the general uh, expenditure of the church through the heating going and stuff like that. We try to be as specific as as possible and of course the church's budget is is always approved by the the pcc and it will be reported on as i say in the agm Um, but then in the eyes of men those those accounts are not just sort of checked here they're checked externally uh through through professional accountants through uh, the, the the charities commission and so on and so forth like paul we want to take pains to do what is right not only in the eyes of the lord but also in the eyes of men We want to administer our giving in ways that are honest, effective, efficient, and accountable. And so if you have any questions um, on any of that, then then please do speak up. Speak to one of the brothers. (laughs) Speak to one of the three brothers. Speak to Mike. Speak to myself. Speak to Ian, our warden. um, And please just ask. So, St. John's, let's be followers of Jesus. Let's be followers of Jesus who give in a way that honors him. And who insists that the church family that they belong to administers that giving in a godly manner um, as well. Let's watch out. Let's be on our guard against all kinds of greed. Acknowledging that we who are rich are rich as a result of the gift of God's 
grace and that we use that gift for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge before you uh, once again that we are works in progress. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help us to consider the needs of your gospel and the extension of the kingdom, both locally in this church and further afield. We'd ask that you would help us to prioritize gospel work, that we would give eagerly. Lord, that you would work in our hearts to give generously. And Father, that you would help us collectively as a church family to look after, to steward, to, 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 to administer well that which you have entrusted to us and to do so in a way that continues to bring you glory. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.